At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the holiday season celebrating with your family and friends. For many people, it's a time of year when healthy diet and exercise habits fall by the wayside. But now, as we start 2022, it's important to get back to doing what's best for our health. On the latest episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program, my expert guests had some great advice on how we can all get back on track where our health and wellness are concerned. I was pleased to host the episode, which featured Dr. Carissa Falden, a family medicine physician with Baptist Health, Dr. Maria Kiriakou, a primary care sports medicine physician with Baptist Health's Miami Orthopedics and Sports Medicine Institute, and Carla Duenas, a registered dietitian with Baptist Health. Let's hear what they had to say. Um, we'll start the conversation, um, Carissa. We, we can't have any conversations these days without, without bringing COVID into it. So, you know, we're in the middle of a recent surge. We're seeing recent spikes in the COVID-19 cases and people congregated through the holidays. Any recommendations now that the holidays are over? Should people get tested precautionarily if they've been around people? Should people who were at holiday gatherings and someone was positive? Any recommendations for what show, someone should do now having gone through a lot of uh, family gatherings or friend gatherings through the holidays? I definitely think it's important to get testing, especially after being in a large group setting. The Omicron variant, you know, it's very mild symptoms slash a lot of people are asymptomatic. And so having knowledge is power and making sure that if you are positive, that you are making sure to quarantine, to separate yourself so that we are preventing that spread. So I do think it's a good idea to get tested if you've been in a large setting. And similarly, as you said, if someone's not feeling symptoms, they get tested so they can know and not spread it to other people. Um, yeah. Carla, moving on to post-holiday um, situations, we know people are going to celebrate. I'm certainly, you know, <laughs> want to get back to my pre-holiday uh, wait. Um, so it's unrealistic for just everyone to restrict themselves for every holiday gathering, every holiday party. So now that the holidays are passed, what are some tips that you can give to people to get back on there? get back on track, if you will, um, with their health after this holiday season? Of course, I think the first thing to keep in mind is just what you said, are getting back on my pre-holiday weight, just understanding that that was a period of time where you, most people, we all ate a little bit more than we had to, we maybe drank a little bit more as well. The foods are not our typical foods that we're used to. So just having that understanding that we don't have to do anything drastic, just get back on track, go back to the way that you were eating before maybe Thanksgiving, maybe Halloween for some people, uh, that's when they fell off the track. But getting slowly back into the habits, what were you eating before? Bringing back the vegetables, right? Exercise is very important as well. But I, I would say just don't do anything drastic and think of what you were doing before and slowly and little that weight will come off. I, I think what you're saying is actually really relevant because sometimes people just get discouraged that, oh, well, I blew it, et cetera. And as you just said, it's okay to go through a little period where you lose that level of control and, and might you know, gain some pounds, um, get a little lazier, but 
just build back and get back. I think we would say if someone's been exercising vigorously and they get back to it, maybe um, uh, Maria, you can count, you can comment on this. We may want them to get back to it slowly. So, so Maria, I'll turn that over to you. What do you see and what do you tell your patients regarding regarding uh, the benefits of exercise and how they can resume exercise if they haven't been exercising? And I guess ultimately, what's a safe way for someone to start exercising if they haven't been exercising? Yeah, absolutely. And that's an excellent question. So when it goes to going back into exercising, kind of how Carla was talking about getting back into your nutrition slowly, it's the same way with exercising. You don't want to go too quick and too intense. That's when you're increasing your risk of injuring yourself. But there's two ways, two avenues that we look at this. If this is somebody new into an exercise regimen, you're in your 40s and your 50s, you have some health issues, some comorbidities, you want to make sure that you address these comorbidities or your health issues with your primary care physician, whether it's a heart problem or asthma or lung issue, especially now with COVID, many of us have been positive, many of us have had severe symptoms. So you want to address that first, make sure that you are safe to get back into your activities. And then of course, we have the other ones that we've been active for a very long time, we took a break, whether it's due to the holidays, and we're getting back into it. Make sure you do it safely, do it slowly and progressively. If we do it too quick and too intense, thinking we're about the same level of our intensity and the capacity that we're able to exercise, you may increase the risk of, a, of injuring. But then be kind to yourself. It's not going to be immediate, these results. You're going to have them progressive. Um, usually my rule of thumb is 10%. Increase that intensity and that activity 10% every week or every other week. If you have a bout of um, increasing in intensity and you feel that soreness that first 24 hours, give your body some time to rest and recuperate, usually between 48 to 72 hours. If you're not noticing any improvement with this soreness or this pain, it might be that something else is going on. So the other thing is listen to your body. If this pain is lingering, it means that there's something else ongoing and you need to seek care either from us or your primary care physician. Again, I love those recommendations and what we always what we say about someone attaining and maintaining fitness and health. It's a marathon, not a journey. Exactly. So you don't need those immediate results. Build up slowly. Do you see in your in your practice or do your colleagues in the orthopedic institute see more injuries after the holidays for people who do start relatively say too quickly in, in exercising, or is that not really um, something you really know? No, I, I do. We do see it. Um, we usually get a little bit of a, a, a spike, especially um, our patients that go out up north to go skiing. They haven't done it in a long time. They're coming back with these major injuries like an ACL tear. Mm -hmm. um, but then the opposite with nutrition, you know, they've had a really good diet. But then that that holiday, they started drinking a little bit more alcohol, a little bit more fatty food. And so we're getting these increased cases of gout attacks. So mm. it is something physical and nutrition on both sides that we're getting um, these acute events coming in. Carissa, um, broad question, New Year's resolutions, we've all we all made them and you know some actually may stick to them. Um, but sometimes small changes can make a big difference in one's in one's health. Do you have any specific recommendations slash resolutions you suggest um, to your patients when these conversations occur? Yeah, and they do occur frequently. And so I think it is important to focus on that small, actionable changes that you can set for yourself. And exactly like kind of what Maria was saying, instead of going fast and furious, trying to, you know, change everything all at once, it's taking your time, you know, and building up. So some small changes that I recommend for patients is, you know, if you're drinking a uh, soda every day, 
replace that with water. You know, if you are have a sedentary lifestyle and COVID has changed the landscape of work that a lot of people are working from home, they're sitting all day. Instead of saying, I'm going to then work out an hour every day, it's like, okay, well, maybe I'll get up at lunchtime. I'm going to take a walk, even if it's around the block, or I'm going to try to get out of my seat and just do a couple stretches, you know, for a minute or two. Those are small, actionable changes. And then a really important one, especially in COVID times, is mental health, you know, and self-care in that way. So small, actionable changes there is I'm going to take, you know, five minutes to do some deep breathing to kind of focus and recenter myself are important for overall well-being, too. Carissa, do you do you discuss sleep habits with the patients at all um, in terms of um, attaining, maintaining health? And if so, what kind of conversations do you have with patients regarding um, the benefits of a healthy sleep? Yeah, so we know and maybe not all people know is that, you know, getting adequate sleep is a huge factor in weight loss because if you're not getting adequate sleep, you know, different hormone levels are spiked and it's just going to be harder for you to lose weight. It's a topic that comes up frequently because a lot of people do struggle with sleep and it's very multifaceted. There's not always a quick fix, but I say that setting, you know, a good sleep routine is very important. Setting a set bedtime and trying to follow that is the first step in trying to get a regular pattern of sleep. That's actually one of my goals right now. Yeah. <laughs> I have two kids at home and I set myself, that's my 2022 goal, is going to bed at 9.30. Whatever happens next happens, but at least I'm in bed already at that time. It's, admir- yeah. it's ad- actually admirable and people find their own patterns, but as, and the reason I bring it up and you know, you guys have been very articulate in nutrition, stress management, which uh, um, you know is its, its own um, uh, conversation, and obviously uh, exercise. Um, but people have to actively think about their sleep routines and habits and how they can be made better. You know, it's always like, oh, I should be exercising more. Oh, I should be eating that. That's in the forefront of our mind. But sleep does have that paramount importance. So that's good to hear, Carla, that you're uh, leading by example. Also, uh, if I can also add to Carissa's Please. comment, it's the same thing with exercising. You want to get a good adequate amount of sleep, at least eight hours, um, especially if we're trying to improve our performance, whether it's strength training, whether it's um, you know working um, up to a marathon. It's very important for the muscles in terms of their health, their recuperation, um, to have that good eight hours of sleep. So- the exercise world, the same thing. If if we think about this, this is an exciting conversation. And again, in my preventive cardiology practice and the way we approach it, everything we're talking about, you know, man, humankind evolved, you know, going to sleep when the sun went down, um, hunting for their food or working for their food, um, you know, being very active all, all day, eating things natural, not opening a fridge and there's 2000 calories waiting for me in soda beverages and staying up till 11 o'clock. So everything we're talking about is just getting people back towards the way our bodies were made to function. And to some degree, a lot of disease and chronic disease is felt to be a result of civilization. So um, great advice, great concept, and also how things are interrelated. So, you know, now we're getting into the heavy stuff, Carla. (laughs) So, you know, weight becomes a major issue, both a societal problem, a public health problem, as well as to the individual um, what are some of the tips? There's no simple solution. Everyone's body's different. Everyone's optimum diet may be different, but what do you, how do you work with people and what do you tell people who basically want to lose weight? And I'll tell you again, the preventive cardiologist, it's not really weight, it's lose storage fat because I can give you a diuretic and you'll lose three pounds of water. So from, from the conventional conversation, yeah. what do you tell people who want to 
try to lose weight this year? Sure. So my conversation actually starts with what you just said about the diuretic. It's kind of moving people away from detoxes, moving people away from fat diets that get you that fast weight loss. But like you said, it's not fat. It's really, it's water. It's, um, it's fecal matter. Even some of the detox products out there cause diarrhea. And so people are excited with when they see that drop in, in pounds, but in reality, it's not healthy. So I kind of steer them away from all those crazy diets because even talking about um, some other very restrictive diets like the ketogenic diet, even paleo to, to some extent, um, really low carb, low fat, whatever fat diet that you put in there, when it's too drastic, we keep talking about this, when it's too drastic, it's just hard to maintain. It might give you results quick, but it's hard to maintain. So is it sustainable? That's the number one key to success. If you can keep eating or exercising like this for the rest of your life, then that is something that is healthy and you should keep doing. So when we're talking about weight loss, we start to really, I really ask the person, right? What added sugars, let's start with that. That's the number one, um, I guess, bad habit, if you will, that people have, it, sometimes it's hidden sugar. They don't really, they don't even realize that it's in some of the things that they're eating or drinking and, and not even saying, okay, a sugar challenge. Cause a lot of people like to do that. A 20 day sugar challenge, cutting it out drastically. No, just look at what's the number one source of that added sugar could be in the coffee, could be in yogurt. And then just work on that slowly moving into the other areas of your life, specifically talking about nutrition, for example, if you don't like vegetables, you can't just say, I'm going to eat salad for lunch, right? Just work in one vegetable and then you increase the amount. And so actually for that, we do have the Baptist plate. And, and I really advise people this. I show them the plate example, which is basically 50% vegetables, 25% whole grains, and that I include in carbohydrates. So whether it's pasta or rice or bread or beans, it's within that 25% of the plate. But, but not added sugars. Keep Right. No, no, not added sugars. We're, we're, now we're talking about just other areas. Oh, because so sugar grains. being a carbohydrate, I wanted to make sure that's clear. It's okay. Oh, yes. No, whole, so whole grains, right? High in fiber, ideally starches, more complex, definitely. Uh, and then the other 25% of the plate, protein. Ideally, lean protein and we're not in water with that plate. But when I show people that example of the plate, rarely I find the person that tells me, oh, I already eat like that. So the conversation moves into how can we how can your plate look like this? Is it the vegetables? Is it cutting back on the carbs? Is it maybe your protein improving the, the types of health or fats that you're consuming with that protein? Um, and that's just a better rule of thumb or a tip that I would encourage everybody. Just think of that plate and, and seeing how you can merge it into what you're doing. And, and that's going to look different for everybody, right? So it's not necessarily that one size fits all. But as you go on through that practice of thinking of breakfast, lunch, dinner, naturally the weight just starts to come off because it's that you know you're changing habits you're reducing calories or improving nutrition through different ways without even thinking about the pounds right that on that scale so so really not focusing on the weight but more on the habits what are those habits that are keeping you from losing the weight or that you maybe were doing for november december like we talked in the beginning and so just changing them will get them that weight but and, and, and to follow up on that, and again, a, a great advice and great expertise, but you know, something I involve myself in my practice as well. Two caveats to that, which is, you know, so people will look at that plate and say, I'm eating that now, but they're also eating other stuff. How many people say, well, I do eat cauliflower. And like, that's great, but you had it with Oreos. You know what I mean? So we tend to concentrate on what we, we should be eating, which is great, but it's also what we shouldn't be eating going back to the sugars and the processed food. The other thing is uh, you, you really uh, emphasize the protein. And the reality is we also don't want to be hungry. And everyone who's overweight has tried to diet, 
How do you diet? Just cut your calories across the board. And why do they eventually fail? Because they're hungry. So, you know, you could eat salad, but you're going to be hungry if you eat salad. So salad's good food. It's very nutritious, but the protein actually helps you avoid that hunger. So that's why that plate is really important to get all those food groups, as you mentioned, all of any them, because type of fat. like a typical mistake that I see on, on a lot of people's plates too, is that they, they say that they eat a lot of veggies and it's salad with protein, for example, which is great. But if you're not including some carbohydrate, healthy, sure. high fiber carbohydrate in there, you get full, but within a short amount of time, you start to feel lack of energy. And most people after lunch, what do they do? They go for the coffee, the cortadito, yeah. like with you know, high sugar to get that spike in energy. But all they needed to do, and this happens by the way with athletes too, they just say they're taking pre-workouts and all these kinds of energy drinks. And when I look at their diets, they're just not eating enough carbohydrates, yeah. healthy carbohydrates to that matter as well. So it's important to eat healthy fats, the complex carbohydrates and always vegetables. And and you did mention you did not mention in that healthy plate drinking a liter of of sugared soda um, water flavored water water in the Baptist Health blog we have a couple of recipes there just to give you alternatives to those sugary drinks. Um, we'll turn it back to exercise now. Similarly, um, before we get to the big question, Maria, going back towards exercise, and, and Carla mentioned a little bit. Do you have conversations with your athletic patients regarding? Uh, energy drinks and or sugared energy drinks? Is that something that you bring into the conversation? And if so, what do you tell them about uh, about, those energy drinks? Yeah, absolutely. And I have, um, being one of the team physicians for FIU, this is a pretty um, common conversation that we're having. Um, Typically what I tell them is, you know, if, if we're at an intense exercise for more than 45 minutes, those electrolyte replacements that have a little bit of those carbs in it, that's that's okay. But if we're dealing with a general population, you know, we're slowly going into our exercise regimen. This isn't an intense activity for more than 45 minutes. Really drinking water is sufficient. That's more than enough. So And what I, you just said, which Carla said, it's we, you got to customize it. Exactly. For the athlete who has very little body mass, very little storage energy, you know, they're going to need external energy. The person who thinks they're an athlete, but they've got a little bit of a gut. They got plenty of energy to burn, so they're not going to have that 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 carb crunch if you need. Uh, so so very much individualized. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the general population um, again, Maria for fitness. Um, you know, broad term, everyone's body's different. What kind of recommendations do you give specifically to individuals? Saying, you know, you mentioned increasing ten percent per per um, uh, per week. Is that you know ten percent time, ten percent um, um, intensity? Any, any more detail that you might give to someone about how they can start and accurately monitor their fitness? Yes, absolutely. So usually the, the goal is 150 minutes of moderate activity a week or 75 minutes of intense activity a week. And then of course you tailor it to yourself, whether we're, we're dealing with a, a, a new athlete going into their activity, or if we're dealing with a, a chronic illness or a chronic injury, that's really when you need to, to have that, that initial visit with your physician and make sure that you're at a a health um, position in your life to start that activity. When it comes to tracking um, your health or your activity and seeing if you're improving, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, One of the simple ones is like a Fitbit where it monitors your steps and you're having a goal of increasing your steps every week or every other week. Um, You can also, you know, do a diary. A lot of times when we're recommending our patients to start with, whether it's a um, aerobic activity and strength training activity, strength training at least twice a week, but you want to have that diary of when, you know, when is your leg day, when is your upper extremity days and have that nice balance. 
Um, other ways that you can track as well, you know, especially those that want to um, increase their, their muscle girth, you know, measuring your thigh, measuring your waist, measuring your arms. These are other ways that you can track yourself. But what I try to focus on, especially with my general population, is not necessarily just this strict tracking, because a lot of patients can get discouraged when they feel like they're starting to plateau, but just how you're feeling. So that 10%, that's why we say start at a 10% and then increase it every week or every other week. And that is including the intensity of how much you can um, push yourself, um, the capacity, how long can you exercise for, and then how frequent. So once you find that comfortable position that you're in, then the week afterwards, bring it up another 10%. And, and it's really, it's not a perfect science. It's gauging how, how intense you can bring yourself. Um, a lot of my patients, when they start to increase this intensity, that's when they start noticing, huh, I'm starting to have some foot pain or I'm starting to have some hip pain. And they're able to, to really assess that during that week. Like, okay, is this just me getting over this hump or is it like a true problem where I need to get assessed? And so that way we're not increasing this intensity too quickly where we have that risk of injuring ourselves. Um, I'll point this one to Carla, um, which is basically how can people... Uh, paraphrasing, how can people balance eating out and still achieve their goals, knowing that eating out becomes a point where people sit around the table more, they sit around food table more, eat foods they normally wouldn't cook, which might not be bad for them. So what, what do you tell people specifically about recommendations towards maintaining healthy eating goals when they're uh, eating out? Yeah, I think the easiest one, believe it or not, is just keeping that plate that we just talked about. We call it the Baptist plate. It is adapted from the Harvard slash the USDA plate. But keeping that plate in mind, the half vegetables, 25% carbs, 25% um, protein, and you can apply that really anywhere, not just restaurants, but if you're going to a friend's barbecue, a family dinner, uh, basically, I don't know, let's think, let's use an example of an Italian restaurant, right? What do we get when we eat an Italian restaurant? It's typically a bowl of pasta. That's it. And it's typically very large, but what if we can share that to make it look more like a 25% of my intake, we add some protein, like some grilled chicken, a side of maybe some mahi, a fish on the side, and then a salad as well. So it, it helps when you're eating out with people so you can share a couple of plates, but if you do that, then you're following the plate. And even though that pasta might have more calories than what you cook at home, at least you're keeping those proportions of the main food groups consistent. So it, it's just a very, I'd say practical way to, to follow healthy eating wherever you go. And that's why like, you can apply it. I mean, we can talk forever here with like pizza oh. and steakhouse. You can apply it really anywhere. Uh, I mean, we actually, we do have some nutrition classes about that, just eating out or eating on the go as well. But we always use that plate as an example. I do have another tip that's really good. I, some people seem to like it, which is basically a lot of the extra calories come in from the appetizer, the drink, like an alcoholic drink, and the dessert. So that's three things. If you can choose one out of the three or two, you're sharing the second one out of the three, then you're cutting back some way um, as well. Just I apply that a lot too, and it's it makes it easier and fun too. Oh, and the third one, sorry, just really quick, Yelp right? Look at the menu before, like you were saying, just looking ahead, planning ahead. So once you sit down at the table, there's no hesitation. You already know what you're going to have right off the bat. So I think technology has made it easier even to see the size of the portions from their online menu. Um, Carissa, um, something that we kind of know, studies have shown that, you know, there's increased mortality rates, people dying around holiday time, many different reasons for that. Um, do you see that? And more importantly, do you see people who tend to delay their care around the holidays, forget to pick up prescriptions, cancel appointments, and then after the holidays, do you see 
Um, um, do you see people with more significant medical problems after the holidays? The actual question is, what can people do after the holidays to make up for lost time and not getting care at the end of the year? Yeah, so I definitely, we are very busy right now because <laughs> everyone's coming in trying to get their care that they did miss, you know, from Thanksgiving to Christmas is a really hectic time for a lot of people. And so it's important before you know you're going on vacation or you're gonna be leaving town or you're gonna have family is to get your medications refilled, you know, before you're gonna leave. So that way you make sure to have your medication, your blood pressure, diabetes, everything throughout. And then if something happens over the holiday, make that appointment to follow up with your PCP afterwards. That way we can really hone in on what's wrong before it gets out of control. Great, great, great advice. Um, Maria, do you see, um, the question is, what are tips people can do use to create healthy habits that last throughout the year? Um, so a few things are um, accountability. So a lot of times if we have somebody with us, you know, working with you as a partner, whether it's your friend, your significant other, just having someone to have that accountability. Hey, every Wednesday, let's go play tennis. Every Friday, let's go out for a run. And so you have somebody else working with you. That's a really good way to keep and maintain that healthy habit. Um, making sure whether it's um, self-discipline. So if you have to have that, that health fitness track, just maintaining it, keeping in mind your motivation, what, what is motivating you? Is it that you wanna to get to a point of your 5K run to be at a certain time? Is it that you wanna be able to dance with your, your granddaughter at her wedding? Just keeping that visual motivation um, really helps maintain that habit. And then of course, um, sometimes it, it just has to be with, um, whether discussing with your primary care physician or your sports medicine doctor, because a lot of times if we have these injuries, we kind of get discouraged to maintain this healthy exercise habit. Well, if I do this movement, it hurts, I'm not gonna do that anymore. And so then patients start to become more sedentary, this fear that they have in exercising, and that can actually make things worse. So it's always good, have the motivation, have somebody be accountable with each other. And if something's hurting, don't get discouraged, come in and uh, let us see what's going on and we can set up a plan together. Great. Um, the last question from the audience as we as we start wrapping up has to do with COVID, which is the way to get testing, which we're actually getting a few of those. And, and I'll just answer that quickly. Um, and it does speak a little bit to Carissa's comments, which is we have a lot of people with medical problems. The holidays may have exacerbated it. Maybe they didn't get taken care of. And we really want our hospitals and our doctor's offices and our urgent cares to be able to handle the people with true medical problems. So if you have significant COVID symptoms and you're short of breath and can't breathe, absolutely use your medical resources. But if you're asymptomatic and you're just looking for testing, please use the public health sites for testing. Don't use medical facilities. That's not what they're geared for. And we'll be taking up time and space for those people with medical um, conditions. Baptist Care and Demand app services are great resources if you have symptoms and you don't want to leave your house and be directed. But for just testing, please use the public health uh, available sites um, and alternative sites. To our listeners, remember that you can send us your comments and suggestions for future topics at Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. On behalf of everyone at Baptist Health, thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.